Israel is now the undisputed center of the Jewish world. For the first 70 years of the state of Israel, the state of Israel was the project of the Jewish people. Perhaps for the next 70 years, the Jewish people should be the project of the state of Israel. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to this special episode of the Koren podcast. We are continuing our theme of the whole series of Al Regal Achat, asking uh, leading voices and personalities in the Jewish world one question to teach us the Torah, standing on one leg, Al Regal Achat. And for this special episode to mark Yom Ma'ut and Israel 75, we were honored and delighted to join Rav Doron Perez in his office, the uh, headquarters of World Mizrahi, in the heart of Yerushalayim. Rav Doron Perez is the executive chairman of World Mizrahi, a position he has held since he returned to Israel in 2014 from South Africa, where he served as executive director of Mizrahi South Africa, the senior rabbi of the Mizrahi Shul and head of the Yeshiva College School. Now, Rav Doron is a friend and close partner of uh, all of us here at Koren, and we were honored to work together a few years ago on the Krangle Family World Mizrahi Edition, Koren Raksa for Yom Atzmert. And we really appreciate the opportunity to speak to Rav Doron in the heart of Yerushalayim for inspiration before we mark the 75th anniversary of Mizina Israel as well as hearing about the World Orthodox Israel Congress, which is bringing Jews from around the world together to mark this important milestone and to join together to build religious Zionism's vision for the coming years. So without further ado, here is our interview and conversation where we ask Rav Doron Perez to teach us the Torah standing on one leg. Al regal achat. So we are honored to be uh, hosted here in the Mizrahi uh, World Headquarters here in the heart of Jerusalem, um, joined by Rabbi Daran Perez. Uh, so, Rav Daran, um, please tell us, uh, teach us the whole Torah, Al Regalachat. Firstly, it's an honor and privilege to be part of this Korean uh, podcast, both with you, Alex and Arya. It's a real uh, pleasure and a privilege. For me, there's four Hebrew words which guide me in everything I do. And I'll say it like this Tikkun Atzmi, Tikkun Olam. I think we've been sent to the world to be the best version of ourselves that we can be, to do a tikkun, to heal, to use Rabbi Sachs's words that he borrowed from the Arizal, to heal a fractured world, our own inner personal world. At the moment we are born, we're born into a world where we are inherently in, imperfect. When the neshama comes into the world of the body, as King Solomon taught us in Kohelet, there's no such thing as a person who comes into the world and can live a perfect life. We are going to stumble. We're gonna. That's inbuilt into the finite world we live. So, our challenge number one as an individual is how can we spend our lives being the best version of ourselves that we can be? Doing a tikkun, trying to mashlim ourselves, trying to perfect ourselves. The quest to perfect ourselves that we can never fully perfect, but that's our quest. But that's, I believe, only half of Judaism. The reason why Noah, Noah, was not the first Jew, points out the Sforna is because in, on, on the Torah is that why are the nations of the world called B'nai Noach and why are the Jewish people called B'nai Avraham? Because the Jewish mission cannot only be about personal perfection. Says the Sforna that Noah's role was la shlimetatzmo. Noah was the most perfect person in terms of perfecting himself. But as we know, he didn't impact on one other person. Chazal point out that even his own family was saved not because he changed them, but because in his merit, his family was saved. 
So for 120 years you build the ark and you don't impact on one other human being. The moment we are introduced to Avram Avinu, what do we learn about him? That both him and Sarah impacted in the lives of hundreds of nefashot. So we have two tikkunim to do. Half of our role is to better ourselves and the other half of the role, and I have to be honest for me, this principle I learned a lot from Kitva Rav Kook. When I learned Rav Kook for the first time, when I was in yeshiva, I couldn't get over how Rav Kook's focus was a focus of Judaism that I hadn't seen before, that everything was about tikkun haklal. Your life is about making the klal, klal Yisrael and the world a better place. Not in place of tikkun atzmi, but parallel to tikkun atzmi. And therefore, life in one line is tikkun haklal. Making ourselves the best we can be and making the world and Klal Yisrael the best that he can be. It's very famous that Rav Kook would sign off his letters with the following words, Eved l'am kadosh l'admat kodesh, a servant to the holy people in the holy land. He saw himself as a servant. There was a book written a number of years ago in 1978 by a leadership thinker called Robert Greenleaf. He called it servant leadership. A leader is here to serve. You have to see yourself as a servant of a cause bigger than yourself. The Klal Klal Yisrael and the world. So for me, on one leg, the Torah for me on one leg is Tikkun Atzmi or Tikkun Aprat, making ourselves the most, the best version we can be, and Tikkun Aklal, making sure what we say in Aleinu Shabbat three times a day, that every time a Jew finishes davening, with it's Shachrit bin Chomarev, we say we can't end off our tefillot without saying we aspire to make the world a better place for us being in it. So it's Tikkun Atzmi, Tikkun Olam, individual and collective aspiration to make ourselves in the world a better place. So I guess looking back now, it's eight, nine years, right, since you came back from Shlichot in South Africa to take on the helm of Well Mizrahi, where you're now the executive chairman. So how were those four words when you took on that role? Um, and I think many of myself and Alex and many of our listeners I will have seen how Mizrahi has you know, in a positive way, exploded across the world over the last almost decade now. How was the, how were those words in your mind in terms of what you set out to do with Mizrahi? So firstly, I met you when I started in my first year, Aria, where you were doing a, a, a shlichot, an educational shlichot in England and were part of our initial trying to rebuild Mizrahi in the UK. For me, it's exactly in, in the following way. Firstly, I don't believe you can focus on tikkun haklal if you're not also constantly focused on tikkun aprat, you can't lose yourself in your role of the klal. Meaning, the moment you come and want to make the klal better and you want to moser nefesh for the klal, you have to remember it's not in place of, of self-growth. In fact, Rav Kook writes in one of his articles, La Malach Edot Israel, he said that was the problem in Shlomo Melech's time. The closest we ever got to tikkun klal was Shlomo Melech. His name Shlomo, the Beit HaMikdash, but that was also a time of moral, uh, you know, uh, falling, and Shlomo erred, and and we didn't live up to it. And Rav Cook points out, because it, it's not enough to do tikkun haklal and to marry all the wives that, according to Chazal, in the Pshat even, not just Chazal, were princesses from all around the world. He, he, he had the, an impact of Torah that had never been in the world before. But says Rav Cook, but it didn't mean that the personal growth kept up with it. So you've got to have both. So for me, number one, if you've got to roll into tikkun haklal, you can never forget about continuing to grow as a person. Otherwise, and I don't want to mention examples, but unfortunately, Jewish and human life is littered with unbelievably talented people who could have had such a bigger impact in the world, but unfortunately stumbled through their own moral failings because perhaps the tikkun haklal, their role in the world, usurped the individual role. So I think you have to have both. 
number one. Number two, um, for me, it's uh, as what, what what I mentioned, servant leadership. How can I saw in South Africa that we were able with Seattle de Schmeyer to make religious Zionism as relevant as it could be a lot more relevant than it was. So I felt that gave a basis to do it around the world. And the focus is, I think for me, it's actually very simple. Come to a place and and uh, and ask not what the place can do for you, what you can do for the place, <laughs> to quote some famous historic uh, aphorisms. At the end of the day, for me, it was, let's say when I met you in the UK, what can World Mizrahi do to make Torah, Israel, religious Zionism as relevant as possible in the UK? Not... You know, what can I do for you that ultimately serves me? Forget about because I do believe if you serve people for what they need, it'll ultimately translate. You'll ultimately benefit. But for me, it's got to build. I think that the focal point was how do we make religious Zionism, Torah Eresh Israel, based in Israel, a source of Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, that we look and see how can we make the values of Torah Eresh Israel, meaning a Judaism centered in the land and state of Israel, relevant to as many communities and individuals around the world. And just with that focus, with that focus, I think for me, I think one of the big shifts for me was we can't only focus on Aliyah. Because if I only, and I believe in Aliyah, I've made Aliyah twice, uh, I believe it's an unbelievable <laughs> mitzvah, and I came here with teenage children and not a simple thing to do, and I came myself as a teenager, so, and I, I believe wholeheartedly in Aliyah. But having said that, I realized very soon, if the only critical success factor of a redesigns movement is Aliyah, then we're only talking to, unfortunately, a very small amount of people which are making Aliyah. At the moment, please God, it'll be more. So we have to have a vision of how do we make Torah Israel relevant to those who are not yet making Aliyah, even if they never make Aliyah. Because I think between making Aliyah and being a good uh, a Zionist, there's a lot in between. It's not a zero-sum game. You can have an apartment in Israel. You can send your children to Israel. Your children can live in Israel. You can visit Israel regularly. You can support Israel and aspire one day to get there. So I think for me the shift was the critical success factor is not only how many people made Aliyah. It is a critical success factor. It has to be, but another critical success factor is how many people are growing in the Yiddishkeit. How many, let's say, how is Yom HaAtzbut and Yom Shulayim being commemorated and celebrated in the communities in a more profound way? How many shlichim do we have around the world uh, who are in, involved in schools and shuls and youth movements and campuses and all of that? So it's because the messenger is the message. The more people you have who go out with a sense of mission and purpose to bring Torah to Israel, the more the impact, uh, the impact um, you know, is, is felt. So I think it's got to be a sense of, for me, how do we go and make the, what we believe in as relevant to as many people as possible? I think if that's your mindset, it's actually not that complicated. The rest is Yata Deshmaya. But um, I think it was Alice in Wonderland, I think. I remember as a kid reading, I think it's from Alice in Wonderland where she said, if you don't know where you're going, then any path will get you there. But if you know, if you don't know where you're going, then everything goes. But if you know where you're going, so our vision is to connect as many people as possible to Torah Israel, where one of the critical success factors is Aliyah. Another one is um, the amount of shlichim, the inculcating of values, how mishlachot, um, um, uh, delegations coming to Israel, how, how many people we send out short-term and long-term shlichot, how many people and communities feel connected to the Torah that we are disseminating. I think if that's your focus, I think one has a chance of being successful. I mean, so <clears throat> I mean, looking back at your close to a decade now of, of leadership of World Nizrahi, um, sort of taking it from 
like a, a fairly dormant sort of uh, institution. It's now been around 120 years. 121 years this year. 121 yes. years, there you go. Um, what are some of the things over the last decade or so that you can look at and say like, well, that, that was a huge success. And then looking forwards, you know, this year is a big year. I just celebrated 120 years of, of World Mizrahi, now 75 years of Israel, um, 125 years since the first Zionist Congress. Like, what are some of the things that you, Rav Daran, are looking at mm. in the near future, even the not so yeah. near future, that you're really hoping to, to make that big impact? Yeah, so I think like this. I think in life, we often, I often say that our greatest strength is often our greatest weakness. I believe Mizrahi... Zionism in general and religious Zionism's greatest strength over time became its greatest weakness. What I mean by that, going back to what I said earlier, since our main critical success factor was, which it should have been, supporting Israel and building Israel, I think one of the great achievements of the religious Zionist world, Mizrahi, Ben Akiva, and all, all those connected to the religious Zionist world was the amount of people who've made Aliyah and the amount of people who contribute proactively to Israel's destiny. And I think it's a disproportionate numbers from, let's call it the religious Zionist orientated community, which have come to Israel. Having said that, I often quote uh, one of the people who've had a very big influence in my life should be well at my stream is Rabbi Beryl Wine. I was very privileged to host him many times in South Africa and, and became very close and I, I often liaise with him. And and uh, um, he, um, so regarding Rabbi Beryl Wine. So what he would do in, in discussions with him uh, he once told me that he grew up in Chicago, and in Chicago in the 30s and 40s, he said the only religious game in town was Mizrahi. There was nothing else. But then came along 1948, and Mizrahi got less involved in building local institutions, and understandably got focused on building Medinat Israel, being this religious Zionist movement. But there's no vacuum in life, so what happened? Others came in, and the Aguda and, and, and Chabad, and others, and did unbelievable work because Mizrahi's critical success factor became Israel. So I think we've become all around the world a, a, a product of our success. But now, when you look now and want to be relevant to communities around the world, so many religious Zionist communities have, have dwindled bec positively because they've made Aliyah. The question is with just over 50% of Jews around the world living in Chutzlaretz. What is our renewed message for them for the 21st century? And if it's only the critical success factor of Aliyah, which is a major part of it, I think, again, we're talking to a dwindling community and less and less people making Aliyah, and un, not less and less people, meaning, um, I didn't mean that, I meant a, a small numbers in the, in, the, um, in, the, uh, in the Western world. Unfortunately, if you look, I was analyzing Aliyah numbers in the last 120 years. Unfortunately, the major waves of Aliyah have only happened after Tsurus, where people felt what's called the push factor, not the pull factor. The only time there was a real pull factor was after Milchemet Sheshtah, I mean, after the Six-Day War. 25,000 American Jews and others made Aliyah in those five, ten years afterwards, especially the six years between 67 and 73. It was, it was such a pull factor. Um, but other than that, it's been really, you know, a steady number. So I think our what's guiding me is our renewed mission has to be, if I give it articulated in the following way, part of the success of the centrality of Eretz Israel is not forgetting the centrality of Am Israel. And therefore, and I often quote, I heard from uh, something I quote a lot, I heard at our 50 year, uh, at the 50th uh, anniversary of the reunification of Yerushalayim almost six years ago, 
uh, Naftali Bennett was then the Minister of, Educa of Education, and he said something there that I'd never heard before and had a very big impact in me. And for me, it crystallized what I think our renewed vision is going forward, and that is, he said, for the first 70 years of the State of Israel, the State of Israel was the project of the Jewish people. Perhaps, perhaps for the next 70 years, the Jewish people should be the project of the State of Israel. I think what has changed is Israel is now the undisputed center of the Jewish world. There are more Jews living in Israel than ever before. I read that demographers wrote that the most people which ever lived between the sea and the, the, the Jordan is 5 million people, we're almost 10 million, over 7 million Jews. It's the largest Jewish community in the world. It's the largest amount of Jews which have ever lived in Israel. Israel, you know, I was reading recently that, you know, the amount of philanthropy given in the United States, this is about two, until two was $2 billion to Israel and another $2 billion in general, you know, for education. Right. So let's call it, let's even go high, $5 billion. Israel's annual budget is over $100 billion. So you've got now a Jewish country which has an income of over $100 billion from the people living here. Um, the center of gravity has changed. The center of gravity has changed. The largest supporter of Torah learning in the world by far is the government of Israel. Meaning everything has shifted when there's a Jewish country. So I think the shift, there's a book by Professor Yossi Shain which he calls it the Israeli century. What has happened is the centrality of Israel as the, the center of the Jewish world, which is the first time in, in, in millennia. So for me, as the center, I think you start having to think as the center, not the poor cousin who's looking for the communities around the world to support them. And we do want and need that support. I think it's important for us and for communities around the world. But that, I think, should be what communities around the world are thinking how they can contribute. I think us who live in Israel, our thought has to be as the heart of the nations, as Rav Yudha Levi said, and with this shift of the, the center of the of Jewish life and the gravitas in Israel, what is our responsibility, not only to all Jews and people living in Israel, but as the nation state of the Jewish people to the other 50, 55% of Jews who live around the world. And I think that, as one of my rabbis said, Ahavat Yisrael cannot end at the borders of Eretz Yisrael. Ahavat Yisrael, meaning there's a principle called Ahavat Eretz Yisrael, there's a principle called Ahavat Yisrael, there's a principle called Ahavat Torah. And one shouldn't come al on the other one. I think for me the big shift is as there's been such a shift to people living in Israel and such a success of the Zionist world in general and the religious Zionist world living in Israel, I think there's a responsibility, A, to obviously see how we can impact in every possible way in terms of Israeli society, but not to forget that the role of the heart is to pump vitality and blood, not in any way in a... In, a, in any way, uh, a patronizing way, but in a, a way, of, in a service-oriented way, how can we as the heart make a difference to communities around the world? And I'm seeing for the first time how many communities are looking to Israel to support them, where it used to be that we were looking to those same communities to support us. Yeah. And I'll say one other trend I just have to point out. One trend which has been in the last eight, nine years I've been in Israel, which to me is one of the biggest shifts that I've seen, is the amount of Jewish and non-Jewish, but I'm talking about Jewish students studying in in universities in Israel. It is unbelievable to see the numbers, the thousands and thousands and thousands of kids from every country which are no longer going back to their communities to do university, but are staying in Israel for all types of reasons. And that's a major, major shift. There's something shifting over here. And I think in that shift, we can't only see the success of how many people are coming here I believe 
when you celebrate Aliyah as one of your critical success factors, in order not to compromise Am Yisrael and the communities in Chutzlaretz, you also have to think what are the implications of people making Aliyah on the community and what can we do to ensure that we are assisting to strengthen those Jews there, not in order that they stay in the diaspora. They are, I always say they're already there. No one's asking me if they can stay. They're there. We're not talking about creating communities in the diaspora. I've heard, by the way, that there's all types of Jews in Israel moving to Crete. There's these big religious cities that in Crete, Cyprus, maybe it's in Cyprus, not Crete, in Cyprus. All of a sudden, people are moving to Cyprus. It's around religious communities moving to Cyprus. That's what I heard. So Mizrahi would never be part of facilitating people moving to Chutzlaretz, the center's Eretz Israel, but... If Jews are living in Chutzlars and they are there, we have a responsibility to encourage Aliyah, but also to bring a strong sense of Jewish values to them wherever they are. Because I think Ahavat Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael and Torah Yisrael are not a contradiction. They work together. So um, at the time of recording, we're about just over a week away from Yom Atzmaut, and the episode is going to go out in the days leading up to Yom Atzmaut next week. Um, and this year, Yom Atzmaut is a big one. Uh, obviously, Israel, 70, Israel 75, also for World Mizrahi as well. How do those trends and visions, the shifts that you mentioned, how does that lead into um, what's planned in the World Orthodox Israel Congress? Thank you. I think the first thing we got to pinch ourselves that we live in an era where there's a state of Israel and we an independent, sovereign Jewish state. We have to pinch ourselves that it's celebrating now 75 years and as we said, 7 million Jews living in Israel, which is just unbelievable. I often give this statistic. I heard that in 1840, there were 6,000 Jews who lived in Israel. By 19, in Israel, by 1917, the Belfort Declaration, 60,000. By 1948, the Declaration of the State, just over 600,000. And since 2010, or 2005, I can't remember exactly, over six million. So it's just unbelievable, the, the exponential growth. And I think the number one um, indicator of uh, the times of Geula is Kibbutz Galuyot. We daven for three times a day to Kabbalah Shofar the, the prophecy which repeats itself the most as the indicator of the era of redemption is the gathering of the exiles. And boy, oh boy, have we seen this in our era. Just, it's unbelievable. So I think, firstly, it's just to whatever the future holds, is to appreciate Dayenu, this unbelievable miracle that we've merited, to appreciate it in the here and now. Having said that, I think we definitely need to be thinking forward. I, like many people in Israel, have been really shocked to my core about the ramifications of the judicial reform, and I'm not getting into pro or against, just what it's done, what it's revealed, the fissures in Israeli society, without getting to the politics of it and taking any sides in it, it's to me very, very concerning. And to me, it makes me, gives me pause to think that um, we really do need to be focusing very much on Achdut Yisrael. There's nothing to be taken for granted. You can't take anything for granted. I've, I've believed, like many people have believed, that the biggest threats facing Israel are not only the existential external threat, and they are with Iran and Hezbollah and everything, but also the internal threats. If we have the resilience internally, and I believe the Achdut Pnimit, we can face any challenge. So one of the things I've been very blessed to do was to be able to write a book which is coming out um, for your Ma'atzmaut, and it's called The Jewish State uh, from Opposition to Opportunity, and it's Ba'alan, and this was decided on six months ago, so I think just came out, unfortunately, as well the judicial reform is, a vision for unity in Israel and why the world needs it. And for me, it just gave me an opportunity to put in writing things that I felt very strongly about and for me I think is absolutely critical now is, yes, there's been a physical redemption. 
and, and it's continuing. But part of the spiritual redemption is unifying these disparate parts which have come from every galut around the world. And I think for me, the last three months have brought out the absolute pivotal importance of Achdut Yisrael, of finding, finding space within Jewish society for within a sort of a Torah framework for all the different ideologies. And a lot of things in the book are about Rav Cook's ideas. It's central ideas of Rav Cook, which wrote a lot about unity. And I think few people did more than Rav Cook to try and facilitate that. And then the big thing we're doing is as part of this unity of this commitment between Israel and communities around the world is this, um, is this we've called it the World Orthodox Israel Congress. So there's many hundreds of people coming for Yom HaZikron and Yom HaTzmut, but straight after that we're doing on the Thursday and Friday, straight after Yom HaTzmut here in Heichal Shlomo, just next to us in the great synagogue next door, a conference we're expecting around a thousand people, about six, seven hundred from the, from the communities around the world and many hundreds from Israel, which are representing at the moment, the people from 48 countries, so either chief rabbis, heads of the communities, we've tried to find in all communities people whose natural tendency is religious arms and feeling connected to Torah and to the centrality of Israel, the land and state of Israel. And in the 48 countries where the people come in, community leaders, heads of shuls, schools, etc., we're having this gathering. And the aim is to galvanize a global community of people who passion about these twin values, which is that Am Israel should be deeply committed to a sense of Jewish identity and destiny, Torah, and equally committed to a sense of the centrality of the land and state of Israel in how Jewish destiny unfolds. And um, that's what it is. So uh, uh, people can still go online to Mizrahi.org and um, represent their community, shuls, schools, institutions. It's free for those who are representing a community. They go online and just fill in and look at the Congress and can fill in that they're representing a shul or school and then, uh, or any institution in Israel. So we expect you both to be there as representing Koren, of course. <laughs> but Bezrat uh, Hashem to really, um, to commit as a global community to Israel, in Israel, but with a sense of Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim, that we are a global community, deeply passionate about the future of the Jewish people, it's Jewish destiny and, of course, the centrality of Israel, which is deeply connected to it. So that's what we're hoping for. It is 120 years of Mizrahi, 121 now, to recommit to a renewed vision of Mizrahi, which is when Rabbi Rhinus founded Mizrahi all those years ago, there were tens of thousands of people in Israel, in Eretz Israel. Today, there are millions, and as I said, the center of gravity has shifted, so we need a renewed religious Zionist vision uh, to deal with the reality. I will say that a final word for me is that um, Mizrahi doesn't only stand for the East, the Mizrah. It, it's an acronym for Merkaz Ruchani. Miz is the first and last word, letter of the word Merkaz Center, and Rahi, first, middle, and last letter of Ruchani. And the founders of Mizrahi in Vilna 1902 saw the role of Mizrahi to be the heart, the spiritual center of the Zionist movement, that it shouldn't just be a secular nationalist collective movement, it should be connected to its deep spiritual roots and that's the role that we see both in Israel and around the world and Bezrat Hashem this momentous occasion should give the impetus to all of us in Klal Israel to feel a much deeper sense of, sense of a covenantal relationship to each other and a sense of uh, moving forward together between the three of us sitting in the room here, uh, we've made Aliyah four times, um, <laughs> as you mentioned before, Abdaran. Um, and you spoke before about the, the push and the pull factors uh, of making Aliyah. Um, I guess just going back to Al Ragalachat, um, you know, what 
for those for the listener sitting in the Khutsarets who you know always thinks about Aliyah, always you know that's it's always on the cards, but perhaps they've they've never got on the plane. You know, what what do you think today in 2023 as we approach the 75th uh, anniversary of Israel and the 121st of Israeli? What are the you know one two biggest pull factors um, to Israel that perhaps you know people don't think about the things that wouldn't be were, uh, but for Mizrahi, but for the religious Zionist community and the people in the Arets who have, uh, the Olim, uh, who are here now, who, who got on the plane. I think the biggest pull factor for me to Israel is that the sense of playing a proactive role in moving Jewish history forward. There's something about living in Israel, when you're in the place, same places that David Amelech walked in, the same place that the prophets and prophetesses lived. There's something about living in Israel which gives people a sense, as we know, in Israel's happiness, in the happiness indicators of all the nations, Israel scores towards the top. And it's not because life in Israel isn't challenging, as we know it is. There's just, I think, a deep sense of Israel that you in, you synchronized with the purpose of Jewish destiny. You're in the place that ultimately Hashem has designated for the Jewish people, and you're playing a proactive role in shaping its future. There's something about that that gives such a sense of destiny to life over here that is just unparalleled. And it also happens to be that Hayom, today's Harab Today people are making Aliyah because it's a place of opportunity. It's a place of heartache. You People actually come because they think many people, they can actually improve their standard of living. So it's a first world country today where it's actually a very viable place and a viable place to live. Uh, which is unbelievable. So even if you're not a, a big Zionist, it could just be a practical economic Zionism. But I think that this first world country, which just practically makes sense on so many levels, notwithstanding the challenges of language and cultural change, and those are big changes as we know. But I think the sense of proactively moving Jewish history forward is something very special. Wow, uh, Rav Doran, thank you so much for your time in what is an incredibly busy season, uh, both this week and next week. Um, you've definitely given us and our listeners a lot to think about, both those who are listening from afar, but those who are going to be joining us here uh, in Israel next week um, for the Congress and for other events that are going on. So thank you. It's always a pleasure to sit. It was a pleasure when we first met back then. It's always a pleasure to sit. And I uh, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to speak with us to help us prepare for your announcement today. And just before we end, I would like to say I'm holding in my hand this beautiful Koren uh, in partnership with Mizrahi Machzor of the Kringle World Family World Mizrahi Edition, together with in partnership with the Maidenbaum Rothenberg families, amazing Koren Yoma Atzmut Machzor that we did together about eight years ago. And this is now the soft cover edition of the Machzor without the articles, just that it's absolutely beautiful. And we look very, very forward for Mizrahi with many more partnerships with Koren um, to Lahafitz uh, at Torah Eretz Israel in Israel and around the world. Amen. 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 Well, that's all we've got time for for this episode of the Corin Podcast. Now, it might be too late for you to get your copy of the Corin Yomansmut Machsa in time for Yomansmut this year, but it also has all the tefillot for Yom Yerushalayim as well. And of course, there is next year Yomansmut 76 as well. So it's not today. And you can order that on our website, corinpub.com. And don't forget, if you use promo code podcast at checkout, you can get 10% off that and of all your order. Uh, Alex, if they want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? You can reach us uh, via email podcast at corinpub.com or on social media at Corin Publishers uh, on all platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, Twitter, uh, anywhere else. I'm not sure we're still on MySpace. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, wishing you all, all of our listeners a more dimna simcha, le'gula, shlema. Yom ha'atzmaut, sameach.